The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown presents Ghost Bandits of Sonora, an excerpt. September 1922 Until the moment Sheriff Macaulay went blind, he gave little thought to the things he saw that dry morning. Lying in his hospital bed, mummified in bandages, he tried to remember all he had observed in the hour before his sight was gone forever. He remembered arriving at the jail. He remembered turning the old knob and pushing through the main door. The front office was just as he'd left it, a small room, sparsely furnished, with a handful of wanted posters stuck to the plaster walls. A low sun poured light through the windows and Macaulay's desk gleamed. He dropped an attaché case into his swivel chair and sighed. In the corner sat Deputy Robbins, asleep. His ankles were crossed, and his hands were clasped in his lap. At first his face was hidden beneath the brim of his hat, but as Macaulay's boots scuffed the concrete floor, Robbins stirred, he pushed his gray Stetson upward, revealing a cragged face. He winced into the blast of sunshine. Morning, Sheriff, he growled. He scratched his silver mustache and sat up straight. The rickety chair squeaked beneath his long torso. Morning, Deputy, said Macaulay. How are our guests? Quiet. Robin stood up to his full height and he flexed his skinny arms. Bones crackled in his neck. Them boys were too loaded to cause much trouble. Nodded off round midnight, I'd say. Easy come, easy go, the sheriff said. Well, let them sober up, tell them to quit picking fights, let them go around noon. Fine by me, said Robbins. Macaulay remained standing. He groped his belt tapping a finger against its buckle. He said, Before we start the day, what do you say to a little breakfast? Robbins coughed into a fist. <coughs> you mean, coffee? The sheriff rocked on his heels. I have me a hankerin' for some fried eggs and biscuits. What do you say, my treat? Robbins shrugged cordially. Don't wait for me to say no. The sheriff smirked saluted the deputy with two fingers, and sauntered back out the door. In the weeks that followed, Macaulay would relive that walk again and again. He would imagine the myriad things he'd noticed but paid no mind. He stepped onto Main Street, souls thudding against the packed earth. A pair of overloaded trucks hobbled past him. A bearded man in overalls strode by, flanked by a panting husky. A dark-skinned woman swept the porch of the general store, nodding meekly at the sheriff. The town's facades were a patchwork of dark shadows and overwhelming light. The old wood buildings were staggered along the road, a jumble of cracked-open doors and hand-painted signs. Beyond the tin rooftops loomed the sand-colored mountains, 
their peaks jagged. The sky was already pure blue. Macaulay turned toward a shop window, whose glass was dark enough to reflect his profile. He allowed himself a moment of vanity, to study his freshly shaven jaw, his bright brown eyes, the playful bushiness of his brows. He took pride in his pressed black suits, and he never minded the baking heat within. He pinched two points of his faded gray star, which was pinned firmly next to his lapel. He cleared his throat once, then twice. He whispered to himself, Here goes. Above all, these were the minutes he would revisit in his mind, over and over, to the brink of madness. He would picture himself crossing the street, swallowing hard as the cantina came closer. He would see the steam escaping from stew pots. He would smell the meat that crackled on blackened grills. He would see the bountiful piles of fresh tortillas. And behind that long wood counter, he would see her. The tiny smile, the narrow frame, the small shoulders enwrapped in a patterned shawl, the dark hair braided around her ears and bound in a red scarf, the eyes that glistened like dew. Macaulay's hat dropped into his hands, and he bowed his head with practiced reverence. Senorita, he said. Her eyes fell to the ground. Senor, she said. Dos huevos fritos, por favor, said the sheriff, careful to enunciate every syllable. E, he added, dos mas para mi compañero. Rosita's cheeks swelled with suppressed amusement. Her voice tinkled as she said, Si, senor, and she plucked two eggs from the woven basket. She cracked them easily, and the yolks plopped into an iron griddle. The viscous liquid whitened into two perfect circles. Macaulay swallowed hard. He could say nothing more. He had used all his Spanish words. The night before, he had spent hours with the dusty primer, borrowed from the meager stacks of the town library. He knew enough to order food, and that was all. But the way Rosita glanced up at him, the way she bit her curled lip, Macaulay hoped she would think of him in the hours to come. Tonight, he would rehearse another phrase. By morning, he would extend their dialogue just a few words more. And then, it all changed. Rosita's eyes flashed. Her tiny figure shrank away toward the cantina's entrance. She raised her hand, fingers splayed, and her mouth parted in awe. Macaulay whirled around. Only then did he hear the pounding of horseshoes, the tinkle of buckles. He heard a yelp, then a scream. He saw dark masses forging down the avenue. He saw horses, their bodies brown and black, their tails flaring behind them. He saw the riders, clad in black trousers, striped black ponchos, black boots, he saw black gloves clutching black reins. He saw black sombreros, 
the wide brims warping in the breeze. But none of that registered. Only later would he recall these fine details. In that moment, he noticed just one thing, the feature that would haunt his dreams for the rest of his days. Their faces were skulls. Their mouths were sickening grins, stippled with teeth. Black triangles gaped in place of noses. The eyes were giddy circles, their empty gazes circumscribed in white. Every line was embellished with ornamental dots and curlicues. The painting was grotesque, but also masterful, the labor of some macabre artist. Uglier still were the horses' faces, also skulls, with painted jaws and vacuous eyes. The face of death had never looked so defiant, so mocking of the living. In the coming weeks, those faces would stalk Macaulay day and night. Sightless, undistracted by light and color, he would dwell on those skulls in the absolute darkness of his mind. Macaulay reached for his Colt forty-five. His fingers grasped the handle. He felt the weapon slide from its holster, the authoritative weight against his palm. His thumb drew back the hammer. The weapon bobbled at his side as Macaulay marched into the street. He tasted dust and bile. On the periphery, he saw a flurry of townsfolk. Women scurried. Men slammed doors shut. A car veered into a side street. As the horsemen hurtled down the road, the town emptied of human life. A farmer jogged away, yanking his donkey behind him. A stray cat scuttled beneath a porch. Crows took flight and vanished into the air. Macaulay stopped. His knees bent, his legs bowed. His skin felt cool and moist. A droplet of sweat dangled from his eyelash. The scene was soundless. Time refused to pass. All he could sense was the vibration of galloping hooves, the quaking of the earth beneath his soles. Then the riders changed course. Each figure charged in a separate direction. There were five in all, fanning out across the fairway. They threw something, all at the same time, in perfect synchronicity. The objects were small, the size of baseballs, little blobs plunking to the ground. Macaulay saw flashes. He heard five bangs in quick succession. Clouds burst, but not black, not quite smoke, maroon-colored thick at first. The mist dispersed, drifting everywhere. It lingered in the air. It swallowed the scenery. Macaulay squinted. He raised his revolver. But what could he even see? Buildings disappeared in the thickening fog. The horsemen faded into silhouettes, then vanished altogether. Macaulay cupped the grip with both hands. He stared down his barrel, scanning the burgundy void for signs of life. He heard screams, women screaming. The bank, Macaulay thought. They're robbing the bank. He couldn't see the squat adobe building beyond the fog. With its small barred windows and flat roof, the bank was an easy structure to forget. But it stood in the middle of that cloud he knew. All the town's money was stored within those walls, 
There was nowhere else the horsemen could be headed. Macaulay launched forward, leading with his gun, as the screams grew louder. Shots rang out, wails of terror and pain. Macaulay heard the frantic voices of women pleading for their lives. His heart throbbed, his veins bulged. With every footfall, he grunted with fury. Then he felt it, a tingle on his hands and face, a terrible itch. Still he ran. The sensation worsened. Tears leaked from his eyes. He blinked the droplets away. No good. With every flicker of his lids, his sockets burned more fiercely. The clouds subsumed him. There was no movement, no shape, only rusty murk. He saw something, a human shape, small and womanly, staggering from the depths. Macaulay lowered his weapon. He held his arms wide, hoping to catch her. She screamed. The ear-piercing alto tore through him, and Macaulay froze in place. The woman emerged, her arms bent, her wrists limp. Her head was cocked sideways, her mouth wide open. She was middle-aged, plump and plain. She wore a floral dress. Macaulay had passed her a thousand times before, but she was different now. Her face was rust-colored. Her skin was blemished. Her bare forearms had corroded. The raw blotches were punctuated with blood. She stumbled closer, and Macaulay saw the peelings of skin, like a snake in mid-molt. Her lips were chapped and blended with her chin and philtrum. Her eyes were sealed shut. Two scarlet lines dribbled down her cheeks. She flung herself at Macaulay. He grappled her around the shoulders. She cried out, hysterical, and writhed against his body. He pulled her backward, away from the bank. Macaulay felt his own body burning. He felt fire in his mouth, on his tongue, deep within his throat. His stomach churned. He saw his own hands wrapped around the woman. The skin was changing color. He watched his knuckles bubble up. He watched his fingers blister and break. He sensed the same fiery decay along his neck and face, as if hot tongs were ripping his flesh apart. The pain scorched him everywhere. It was absolute. He heard himself howl. Then the cloud faded. The light winked out. Macaulay tried to unclench his eyes, but realized they were still open. He saw nothing. Still he heard his own primal voice wailing into the emptiness. Macaulay felt the woman go limp in his arms. His strength seeped away. Macaulay released her, and he heard her body crumple at his feet. He bumped his toe against her bulk and lost his balance. He tried to find his feet, but he had no sense of space or direction. He toppled. The ground cracked against his skull. He lay there, listening to his own muffled sobs as he surrendered to the pain. Before he fell unconscious, Macaulay heard the trot of horses. He could sense them, regrouped, riding past. But he had dropped his gun. He saw nothing. He could only lie there, helpless, as the clopping hooves 
grew fainter, and at last were gone. You've been listening to Ghost Bandits of Sonora, an excerpt. If you like what you've heard, the rest of the book is now available on Amazon, and you can order it from your local bookstore. The Adventures of Elizabeth Crown are produced by Backpack Media, LLC, written and performed by Robert Eisenberg. Music by Nikolai G., Naoya Sakamata, Eric Satie, and Purple Planet, used with permission. For more information about the exciting world of uncanology, visit elizabethcrown.net.